We do. Nothing else is going to satisfy. We just want Him. It's just a sweet, sweet presence. His presence here this morning, and I believe that as you've asked for breakthrough, you've asked that that cloak of shame be removed, those chains be broken, that fear be gone. He will be faithful to remove that. See, he wants us to take a step towards him, and as we take a step towards him, he just says, oh, I like that, and he runs towards us. He runs towards us. I want to talk this morning just for a few minutes and just as she plays, just a few more minutes. I want to talk about something that was maybe even a personal message to me um, about getting our motivation back in this next year. Actually, I had another term that I put up there because I've always called motivation my motivation, my mojo. My mojo. But then I realized, you know, I started looking up that term and that word is, uh, it comes from, you know, there's, it comes from, you know, kind of West African kind of, or West Indies kind of things, you know, get your mojo back. And so I decided that's not what I want to communicate, but I do feel like, how many of us feel stuck this last year? This, this has been a year of being stuck. And, and some of us, it's, it's been kind of like a, a punch in the gut kind of year. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. And today I want to remind us of some things that God has spoken to us over the last couple of years as a congregation, but also about what God is going to be speaking to us for this upcoming year. Actually, it was Rosh Hashanah 2018. And the Lord spoke to me and gave us a word, a theme for the next year, which would have been the end of 2018, 2019. And that word, anybody remember that word? One word. Hineni. Here am I. Here am I, Lord. The Lord was speaking to us about just making ourselves available to him. And then in 2019 at Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, I believe the Lord spoke to me a word that was going to be for 2020. And it wasn't 2020 vision. We heard that and, and all of that. that that's, that's good. But he spoke to me about lingering a little bit longer, that this is going to be a year, 2020, to linger a little bit longer in his presence. Linger a little bit longer in that place of seeking after him. Lingering a little bit longer in that place of prayer. Little did we know in 2019, what 2020 would, would bring to us. But I really feel like we've had an opportunity to linger, linger a little bit longer. Some of us have been closed up, have been not able to go out, not even able to, to work in, in our regular places and, and go visit. So we've had opportunity. We can complain all we want, but God has given us an opportunity to linger in his presence. And nothing, no rule, no law, no government official can keep you from lingering in his presence. I guarantee that. I want to talk about what I believe that the Lord is speaking to us about 2021. I'm going to get into it a little bit more during the message, but it's about going forward. 
moving forward. We've made ourselves available. We're lingering in his presence. Now he's going to say, move forward, go forward. Like I said, this is... Thanks, Wendy. This year has been a punch in the gut for many of us. Lockdowns and quarantines, financial losses, dashed expectations, a sense of just being fatigued with all that's happened. Tired, weary, major disappointments. Don't worry, I'll get to the good stuff. I'm just kind of outlining what so many of us have gone through this year. It's a season that we're forced to hang on to God's promises, even when maybe you didn't see those promises fulfilled. But we also know that if we didn't hold on to those promises, we would have been overwhelmed this year with discouragement. Even so, some of us, and I'll put myself in that camp, we've lost some motivation. We've gotten stuck. The wind was taken out. I, I remember back in the days, and my younger kids, you know, we'd get into fights, you know, with kids, and you ever get punched in the gut, and you, you, you kind of, oh, you can't catch your wind, you can't catch your balance. You're, you're, that's kind of what this year has kind of been for so many of us. And, and I just want to just share a little bit, if you don't mind, personally, Millie and I, what we've gone through. And it wasn't just this past year. It even started in 2019 when we lost our grandson, Isaac. I almost kind of see bookends, bookends, beginnings and an end. Losing Isaac in 2019 and then losing my sister. And a lot of loss, grief. And I'm not real good at processing those things. Because I want to be strong. I want to just push through and get to the next thing. And sometimes I even put a pressure on me as a pastor to... Don't show your weakness. Don't show that you're hurting to the people because they're hurting too. And, and if you're hurting, and they, they're not going to be encouraged. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. There's been a lot of grief this year that we've gone through. Disappointments. And this is even not including all the COVID stuff that's gone along this year. Because even in the midst of grief, and we've been on a learning curve here. I've been on a learning curve on how do you lead a community when you're not allowed to congregate? How do you keep a congregation or a church together when the government and when everybody says, no, you can't come together? And yet everything in the scriptures talks about coming together, assembling together, assembling together. And so it's been a challenge for us how to learn New tools, new techniques, whether it be live streaming. And, and I thank God for people like Mike and Jason and Jared and, and, and Aaron and others who have helped us to, to come into the 21st century. Because <laughs> I couldn't do it. I'm a dinosaur when it comes to technology. But, you know, it, it, all of that just really was, was a, a learning curve for all of us. And for, for Millie and I especially. We lost our worship leader this year after seven years of being with us. And, and it was hard. It was hard. And I, and I want to share this with you as I love Lynn. I just talked to her the other day. And, and, you know, we're good. But it was hard to lose 
She was part of our congregation even before we started Or Chaim. And, and others who left this past year, and, and some of them, we blessed them out. And just because God was had caught, put on their hearts, I think of Aaron and Erlene. And if you're watching Aaron and Erlene, we bless you. And I love to see people. If they're living here and they're going to follow what God has called them to do, I'm with that. But still, it leaves an emptiness in my heart. And others have left and for whatever reasons. And we've got new people that have come in. So it's been that kind of year trying to keep the community together. But in that, I just realized over the last few weeks, you know what? It's taken a lot out of me. And I confess, I was stuck and I've lost some motivation. I'm getting it back, though. I want to let you know I'm getting it back. Not because of any, but because God is imparting into me. But I felt stuck. I felt brain fog. Anybody know that ever used, feel brain fog where you just can't concentrate? And then, you know, all of that over the challenges of the past year. And see, when people are stuck in life, they focus on two things. What they've lost. They look at what they've lost and the first person that they blame usually is themselves. This is lost because I did something. It's my fault. I should have. And we start shooting on each other. I said shooting on each other. Okay? We should have done this. I should have done that. They should have. And then we blame others after we're through beating up on ourselves. So we focus on what we've lost. And, and when we focus on what we lost, what we try to do is to protect ourselves from further loss. Because loss is painful. It hurts. It leaves a void. And so as we try to protect ourselves, we become insulated because I may lose more. And so whatever I have, I try to be overprotective of that so I don't lose anything more. So that's the first thing, is we focus on what we've lost. The second thing we focus on is the negative things that we believe they're, they're coming. And this is something that God has been showing me over many years, and, and I have a helpful helpmate to help me walk through this. I have a syndrome. It's not my fault, though. It's called... Waiting for the other shoe to drop syndrome. Anybody? You know, something good happens, but there's going to be something bad that happens just down the road. Or something bad happens, guess what? It happens in threes. And so there's this other shoe going to drop. I believe negative things are going to come. So when we've lost something, we tend to think about the negative things that are going to happen. And so what we do is we, we stop dreaming. We lose hope. We're afraid to hope. We're afraid to dream because we may lose that too. And we're afraid to trust others too. After all, it may happen again and it hurts too much. So I don't want to do this anymore. And also when we dwell on what we've lost and what we fear will be ahead of us. And that's why we're breaking fear. We're breaking the power. In the name of Yeshua, we break the power of fear in our lives. But as we 
we think on those things and we dwell on those things, we, we already, we, we, we're likely also to devalue what we already have. Because we may lose it. And so we, that fear thinks that I might, I might not have enough. I won't measure up. And I want us to look at a biblical example of a woman who was in that situation. And I want to bring it back home to where we're at. So if you would turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. You all know this story, and we're just going to spend some time looking at this lady. And starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first couple of verses, and then we're going to read a couple afterwards. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared Adonai. Now the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. What should I do for you? Elisha asked, asked her. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she replied, Your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Everything she had, she felt was lost. What had she lost? She lost a good husband. And I never realized this, but this was not just a widow. This was a wife of a prophet, a very good husband, known in the community, who had prestige, and she lived a life of security. So she didn't just lose her husband, which is huge enough. She lost her position as being the wife of a prophet. The prestige that goes along with it. The security that goes along with it. Everybody in the community knew who she was. She had a reputation and she had credibility as the wife of the prophet. As a wife of a prophet, she received honor in the community. And there's perks that go along with that. And now suddenly her husband is gone. All is lost. And now the creditors are coming to take her sons as slaves. And she falls into this victim mentality. She was this and now all of a sudden she has none of that. She's a victim. There's a lot of victimization. There's a lot of victim mentality. I believe there's a cottage industry of victimization in our country and in our culture today. What is a victim? All of us have some, some kind of that victim in us. And God wants to kill that victim so we can become victorious in his promises and walk in the promises and the potential that he has for us. But we have to get beyond that victim mentality. What is a victim? Somebody that's harmed by others, bound, no way out, and no power to overcome, either because of their own decisions or their own fault or because of somebody else. It's huge today, victimization industry. Somebody, a group of people saying, it's not your fault for what's happened to you. It's their fault. It's on somebody else owes you something. You're owed something. And there was a bit of that in this widow. I lost everything that I had. He was a prophet. And, and now I have nothing. So what are you going to do for me, Elisha? What are you going to do for me, God? Becoming a victim. And in that victimization, in that attitude of being a victim, I get, you know what happens is we become angry. 
We become angry. And that victim mentality divides people from people. There's a victim. If there's a victim, guess what there has to be? An oppressor. Somebody who put them into that position. The only ones who really value from this victimization industry that's grown up in our culture. Think about it. Therapists. Because you got a problem. You just go to a therapist and he'll tell you what your problems are. And he'll give you information about your problems. And the pharmaceutical industries, he'll say, here, take this. This will make you feel better. Except it really doesn't go to the root issues. It never goes to the root issues. Elisha's response, and this is what we're going to get into. Elisha's response was not at all what she expected. He didn't give her any money. What kind of prophet of God is he? She has a need. Obviously, it's a financial need. He didn't give her any money. He didn't pray for her either. This is amazing. Aren't men of God supposed to pray for each other? He didn't preach her a sermon. He didn't rebuke the devil. He didn't refer her to a financial seminar. He didn't coddle her and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He didn't say, it's not your fault. He didn't refer her to a government agency to get food stamps. But what he did do was he opened her eyes to revelation of a long-term solution. And this is what I want us to encourage is whatever we're going through today, there is a short-term solution. There may be a government agency, there may be a financial seminar that will help you do something. I'm not putting, a, I'm, not, I'm not ridiculing those things, but God wants us to see a long-term solution to whatever we may be facing today. So let's read the, what did he do? Starting in verse 3. Then he said, go borrow for yourself. What, first of all, what did she say she had? Only that, she, what did she say she had? But how did she say it? A little bit of oil. A little bit of oil. In other words, poo-poo, not much, not much. Verse 3. And then he said, go borrow for yourselves vessels from all your neighbors, empty jars, not just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and behind your sons and pour into all those vessels, setting aside what is full. Now, if somebody came to me and said, okay, you got a need. I want you to go out and do this, 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 and this. I said, no, I came for here to have you meet my need. But that's not what happened here. Kind of ringing a little bit. So he gives her a job to do. He gives her a plan. Go out and borrow all the vessels. Not a few. Go to all your neighbors and invite and, and ask them to, to lend you these vessels. In verse 5, so she left him. So she did it. She did it. She followed his advice. So she left him and shut the door behind her and behind her sons. They kept bringing vessels to her, and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there isn't another. There isn't another vessel. So the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God. So he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. 
then you and your sons can live on the rest. Wow. He gives her a long-term solution to her current problem. To get our motion, our motivation, our, our confidence back, to get unstuck, it's always connected in believing and embracing something that will last. Something that is enduring. Something that will last. And that's what Elisha did. Is he opened her eyes to the revelation of a long-term solution. He showed her what she already had, a little bit of oil. What does oil represent? Why, just, why did she bring that up? What is oil? Think about Israel in those days. What is oil? Yell out some answers. Yell because I'm hard of hearing. The spirit. The spirit. Anointing. That's powerful. Anointing is you're set apart for it is set apart to do something. An anointing to do something. What else is the oil for? Light. Fire. Power. Energy. Cooking. Leave it to a, a Lieberman always to be thinking about food. Oh, yeah. But that, it's, it's that she had this thing. And I believe when we're struggling, we're crying out to God in whatever situation, he says, he points us to who we really are, who she really was, who we really are, who was she. That's the basic foundation of who she was, a daughter of God, in covenant with the God of creation, not a debtor or a prisoner, or a victim. He reminds us of who we are in him when we have nothing else. I may not have possessions. I may not have a lot of money, but I have the spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh living in me, and man, that oil is enough. That is enough. So God reminds us of our identity in him when we're going through those hard times, when we cry out to him. This is the beginning of getting our motivation back is be reminded who you are in him. If that takes 20 times a day to do that, thank you, Lord. I am. I remember when we first came to church in the city and people, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Blessed and highly favored. And I'm telling you, when we begin to dwell on who we are and our identity, guess what? We are blessed. And we are highly favored in that. So God will always remind us about who we really are, but we need to remind ourselves about who we really are. And then he reminds us and we need to remind ourselves of what was her potential. That little bit of oil, but she had a potential for so much more. What is your potential to be an overcomer? To take what little you had to be an overcomer and to be successful. She didn't have much, but she followed the instructions that God gave to Elisha. She borrowed the vessels. She kept on pouring the oil, and the oil kept on pouring. And that oil was so valuable, she was able to live on it, her and her son's. See, that's a long-term solution. And I'm just reminded all of us have something to give. I was so blessed last week during our worship. Cherie has a gift. Cherie Morris has a gift. She's a worshiper. But she worships many times in her painting. And so she gives that in her worship to the Lord. And God blesses her as she does that. Whatever gift you have, I don't have any, I don't have much. God has given me the ability to speak. Sometimes I get tongue-tied, but he's given me the ability to speak. So I give that back to the Lord and, and, and let him pour back. 
Because whatever you give, it may be just a little bit of oil. But when God blesses and hit, it's, there's an abundance. There's an overflowing that takes place. But he also, and this is what God will do. So we, when we see who we really are and we see who, what our potential is in him, man, do you realize we're in covenant relationship with the God of the universe? We're in covenant relationship. He wants to bless us. The God of the universe wants to bless us. When we understand that, we understand our potential. He's given Yeshua all authority. And when Yeshua said, go into all the world and make disciples, it's because he had the authority, and he's given that authority to us. The prophet also helped her to see God's promises. If you give this little bit, God will bless you and he will pour out the heavens on you. See, when we feed on these things, faith is built up for what we may or we may not have. Faith is built up when we begin to give what we have. It may be just a little bit in your eyes. But God, when he puts his stamp of approval, when he puts his blessing on it, man, it is it's overflowing in abundance. You see, if we focus on those that have what we don't have, what does that create in you? If you start looking at people that have something that you don't have, what's the, potential, what's, what's the possibility? What, what, what's gonna, what kind of mindset is going to be? Envy, jealousy. What's that? Coveting. Yeah. I'm inferior. There's something wrong with me if I don't have what that person has. I failed. And I really want to encourage us, if you feel stuck, if you feel unmotivated, think on what you already have. You have something that is needed for breakthrough in your life. And I don't know what it is in your individual life, but you have something needed for breakthrough in your life. She had a little jar of oil which is a precious commodity. I already talked, we've already talked about what that is. The spirit, the anointing to do something, light. Something set apart, oil sets apart. When we anoint somebody for, for a service, or for a, as, a, as a shamash or, a, or, a, or a, 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 an apostle or an elder, they're set apart for that task. So she was instructed to do what she to give something which she already had. And so she asked the neighbors to participate in her need, to participate in her need and her desire for a miracle. You give what you have, and God will show you the rest. I just want to read a portion of Scripture from Exodus 14, and I love this. And this goes along with what I believe that God is speaking to us as a congregation for a theme for 2021. You all know this. We read this. At the Passover, this is one of the the turning points in world history. The children of Israel been released from slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land. But they come to a they come to a place where they can't go forward because there's an ocean in front of them. There's a Red Sea in front of them, and then they realize who's in back of them. The Egyptians are coming. So starting in verse 15, Exodus 14, 15, we're going to read several verses in here. 
Then Adonai said to Moses, Why are you crying to me? Tell B'nai Yisrael to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. In other words, he's saying to Moses, What do you got in your hand? Now, was it a piece of wood that had magic powers, Kent? No. It was a sign. It was a representative of the authority that God had given Moses as the leader, as the deliverer of the children of Israel. What do you already have? Why are you crying out to me? Lift it up and stretch it out over the waters. Then Bene Israel will go into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Then I, and this is the part that I love. So you do what you got. You give what you have. You do that part that you know that you've got ability to do. And then it says, then I, God, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will go after, go in after them so that I will be glorified over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Adonai when I have been glorified over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. When we give the little that we have, God moves in a big way. Let me read on. And the angel of God, some believe this was Yeshua, the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And also the pillar of cloud moved from in front and stood behind them. So now you've got the angel of God and the pillar of cloud in back of the people of Israel blocking them from the Egyptian army. And so came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was the cloud and the darkness over here, yet it gave light by night over there. Neither one came near the other all night long. What a night that must have been. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And it's interesting. Before he says, stretch out your staff. Now he's saying, stretch out your hand. God is specific in what he says. If he says, stretch out your staff, you stretch out your staff. Now he's saying, stretch out your hand over the sea. Adonai drove back the sea with a strong wind, an east wind, throughout the night and turned the sea into a dry land. So the waters were divided. Then B'nai Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, while the waters were like walls to them on their right and on their left. This, I don't know, you know, you know some people don't really believe in miracles, and they have an excuse for what really took place. Well, there was kind of, well, there was maybe a tidal wave or something that took place, but, and, and the sea dried up. The sea dried up. If, that, if that's really what happened, then why did the Egyptians drown in a dry sea, you know? But we won't go there. But God is a God of miracles. He was then. He is today. He still is. So they passed through the sea. In verse 23, and I love it. This really came, struck me as I read this this week. But the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his, and his horsemen. Now, it came about during the morning watch that Adonai looked at the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and caused the Egyptian and caused the army of the Egyptians to panic. God looked through the cloud in the pillar and 
the Egyptians saw him looking at them, and that caused them to panic. Wow, what did they see? Oh, man, do a study on that. What did they see that caused them to panic? Verse 25, he took off their, God took off their chariot wheels and caused them to drive heavily. So it's like removing the wheels off your car and driving on an axle. It's hard to do. And caused them to drive heavily so that the, pres- so that the Egyptians says, get away from the presence of Israel. God is saying to us, draw near to my presence. But to those who are the enemies, he says, they say, we got to get away from the presence of God. You notice, you see the, the dichotomy here? Get away from the presence of Israel, for Adonai fights for them against the Egyptians. These are the Egyptians crying out, get away from him. Then Adonai said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters come back upon the Egyptians over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the waters, and the sea returned to its strength, and the break at the break of dawn, the Egyptians were fleeing from it. But Adonai overthrew them in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen and the entire army of the Pharaoh that went after them into the sea. Not one of them remained. Wow. But the point that I want to make here Reading all that. He says, God is saying to us in 2021, go forward. You're at an impasse. You're at a Red Sea. Forward movement causes the Red Sea to part. God is always calling us into a forward movement. The thing is, is we need to hear what he's saying. Use the authority that you already have to speak to that mountain, to that sea that is before you. Use the authority you already have. How much authority do you have, Jason? How much authority do you have, Jerry? How much authority do you have, Peter? Whatever Yeshua gave you, all the authority that Yeshua has, you have that authority too. Then see, when we use that authority, then see the miracle that God will do. I think we've gotten so used to just, we have good doctrine, we have good theology, and we, we, we believe it's good and, and that's good, but God says, no, I want to do so much more. Yes, doctrine is important, theology is important, but I want to show my power through you in these days. I believe God is wanting to do that. And when we see the miracle that God will do, see, all they needed to do was to go forward. And then it says, God did the rest. God did the rest. And when we see that, when we move forward, and all of us have examples, when you saw an impossibility in your life and you move forward, then God just poured out things. You go, wow, this this motivates you. Remember those things. Think on those things when you've lost your motivation, when you feel stuck. Think of what he's already done in your lives. This will certainly motivate our faith. Always move forward. Don't dwell on past mistakes or successes or outcomes. We tend to dwell on those things. Then we live in the past. And God is saying, well, learn from the past, but don't dwell on them. Don't repeat the same things. And even successes, God may say, well, yeah, it worked that way. We did it that way. We're going to do something different this time. 
by responding to his leading, momentum is restarted in our life. How many of you need to have some momentum restarted in your life? What's the last thing he asked you to do? Have you done it? Do it. God will. When you move, he just, he pours out. Wendy, why don't you come on up and get ready for some worship here as we close. Getting our motivation back, getting unstuck. We ask the word, the spirit that dwells in us to open our eyes to what we already have. Whatever gift you might have, whatever talent you might have, whatever resource you might have, let God show you what it is. You know, if you've, you say, well, I don't really have anything. I don't have any gifts. If you're in Messiah, the spirit, of, the spirit of Messiah, the spirit of the living God is living in you. That's huge right there. Use the authority that he's given us to speak to sicknesses, to speak to financial loss, to speak to broken relationships. Use the authority that you have in Yeshua. But in doing that, you know, we have to step out in faith. You have to step out in faith. To his leading. Be in the word. Be in his presence in worship. You know, being in his word and being in worship is not a Shabbat activity alone. It's something that we have the ability to do all the time. The beginning of 2020 and the Lord said, linger in my presence a little bit longer. Linger in his word a little bit longer. Linger in that Bible study, that devotional a little bit longer. Maybe God's calling you into a, a deeper season of worship that includes fasting. Whatever that mountain is before you, that impossibility, God is saying, trust me in this, but I'm calling you to, to trust me, maybe even through fasting. Not just prayer, not just study of the word, not just declaring and proclaiming things, but fasting. Maybe God's calling you to do that. Seeking intimacy. Seeking intimacy with him instead of dwelling on your circumstance. Sometimes we, I'm a, I used to be, I'm changing, I believe. Used to be a glass, glass, half empty kind of person. I want to be able to see that the glass is actually, it's half full. And God wants to pour more into it. We need to begin, begin to see things from his perspective. I love what John what Yeshua says in John 4.35, he says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're white, ready for harvest. The whole verse in context is, don't you say four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're white and ready for harvest. God wants us to see beyond just the need just beyond the initial circumstance that you may be facing. Look to his provision. Look to his provision. He's not an ATM machine where you just put in your five minutes, check off your, 
well, I did this and I did this and I did this and okay, God, now it's your turn. Give me my money. Give me my this. Give me my that. No, God is saying, I want you to spend time with me. Spend time with me. And then as we lift up our eyes and we begin to see the harvest that's ready to be, the, white, the fields are white ready for harvest. God will always show something to partner with us, to get unstuck. And let me just briefly just share some experiences from my own life. Years ago, many years ago, the Lord spoke to Millie and I about going into the ministry. But I felt stuck after a couple of years that I knew that he spoke to us about going into the ministry, but I felt stuck. Well, after all, our house wasn't so, if we can't sell our house, we can't go into the ministry. And I was stuck, losing my motivation. And then one day the Lord spoke to me and says, you become a slave to the American dream. I've called you to be my son, my bond servant. And I repented of an attitude. And within two weeks, our house sold. Got unstuck. When we were politely asked to leave Israel, politely, no, we weren't politely asked to leave Israel, but God called us to work and to minister in Israel. And we were basically deported from the land. And after a while, I said, I felt stuck and I kind of lost my motivation. But God, you called us here. But he gave us an opportunity and almost two years of living in Europe and living in Budapest and Prague. And he says, I want you to go to Cyprus and I want you to pray for open doors. But Lord, why do we need to go there? It's not about why he's just obedience. And so we went and we prayed and doors opened. Within a few weeks, we had permission to go into Israel. I had a vision to start Or Chaim Congregation place for his presence. Had this vision for a long time. On staff at another church and I became stuck. Lost my motivation. I had to leave that comfort. Wasn't comfortable, but I had to leave that and start afresh. We partnered with the people here at Gateway. They opened up this facility to us to come. See, when you say, okay, God, I get it now. I got this. I'll give this. God just opens up all kinds of doors. Don't be surprised at what he'll show you. So to close, and would you stand with me as we close out the service? And this is a familiar promise to all of you, but it's mine and Millie's life verse, so you can't have it. <laughs> no, this is for, it's for all of us. In Jeremiah chapter 29, you all know this. First of all, Jeremiah chapter 29, where are the children of Israel when this is being prophesied? Babylon, the captivity. 70 years. You think they maybe some of them lost motivation? Some of them felt stuck in being there. Wait a minute. This is not where we're supposed to be, Babylon. Verse 10. For thus says Adonai, after 70 years for Babylon are complete. During that time, they lost their motivation. A lot of disappointment. They were in exile. They're being corrected for their sin. 
He says, I will visit you to bring you back to this place. And then I love this, and I want you to close your eyes and receive this. For I know the plans that I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. Plans for shalom and not calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Anybody been in captivity for 70 years? I don't think so. But God wants to remind us that he has a plan for us. For shalom, for peace, not calamity. Not for the other shoe to drop in a bad way. But to give you a future and a hope. Because you know what? He's created your future. When we put our hope in him, he has a future and a destiny all laid out for you. It's a destiny that he inscribed even before the foundations of the world that you would walk into. So it's time to get unstuck. Our motivation is going to come from him, but he wants us to take that step forward. So how do we commit ourselves to moving forward? Well, this is a big part of it. And it was mentioned during the Torah portion today. Deal with your past hurts offenses, walk in forgiveness, be healed, be cleansed. You see, if we're walking in the offenses of the past, we're hindering God imparting into him what he wants to do. And we're also hindering into going into the future. You don't want to go into the future. And he doesn't want us going into the future with those hurts and wounds of the past. So walk in forgiveness. Be faithful in using your gifts, whatever your gifts are. You might think, well, it's not much of a gift. If it's from a gift, just receive it from God and use that. Be faithful in using that. I know that there are evangelists in this group. But you might say, well, I don't have anything to give. Do you have a testimony? Each and every one of us has a testimony of what God did in your life to share to somebody else that will encourage you. Be faithful in your gifts. Be faithful in your talents. Wendy is faithful in just offering her talents and gifts as a musician, as a worshiper. Be faithful in that. Your skills, your abilities. You give these as the first fruits to the Lord. And finally, tenaciously, tenaciously cling to the promises that God has given you. Cling to the promises of the Father. He gave promises to Joseph when he was a young dude, a young guy. It was how many years? 13 years, 17 years years before they came into fruition. There was a prison that he had to go through. There was a pit that he had to go through. Misunderstandings and all that stuff. But God is faithful. Yaakov is faithful. Amen. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given to each and every one of us, Lord. And Lord, that we would be reminded of those promises in you that your answers are always yes and amen. But you always don't give it to us when we want it. 
there are things that you're wanting to build in us and to, to show how powerful you are in the midst of circumstances. So I pray for each and every one here today, Lord, that we would hold on to the promises that we have in you and that we offer ourselves. And I want us to lift ourselves, our hands up to the Lord. Whatever gifts you might have, gifts, talents, skills, you're saying, God, I'm giving them to you and I'm going to give them away. God gives us gifts many times to give away. And so, Father, I pray that each and every one of us would offer these as first fruits to you. In Yeshua's name, amen, amen, amen.